This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist and host. Today, we're discussing the topic of ice. Ice. Every which way you would see it, think about it, and find it. On Earth and in the heavens. We're going to talk about why ice is slippery. I bet you never really thought about that one, huh? Well, there's interesting surface physics related to it. We're going to talk about ice in sports. Not all sports use ice in the same way as one another. So that's a whole other frontier of winter sports. And we're going to talk about glaciers. Uh, how, what are they, how they move, and why, and what they do to Earth's surface. All on this episode of Star Talk Sports Edition. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Jack. Hey, Neil. I also got Gary Riley. Gary. Hey, Neil. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. So, Gary, what what show have you and your producers assembled today? All right, for so ice? it's been coming and going for ages, ice. And right now, I'm, I guess everyone knows it's packed its bags and it's heading for the ocean. Um, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, later. Humankind has learned to live with it, use it, try to understand it, and even try and have fun with it. And I can't think of anyone better to ride a Zamboni with than our guest. Uh, Laurie Winkless, if you don't remember, I'll explain. If you do, then you'll know you're in for a treat. Laurie is a physicist, an astrophysicist, an author, a science communicator, and storyteller. She's a science journalist and lecturer, and her books include Science in the City, and Sticky, The Secret Science of Surfaces. So, Neil, Murray Winkless is back. And that must have been the most beautiful thing anyone has ever said to anyone. Will you ride the Zamboni with me? I'm so flattered. I would do anything, Gary, to have that opportunity. <laughs> I've never and been I on just, a Zamboni. So it, it just seemed it really like the is. best thing to, 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 you know what, what can we use on, the, on ice? A Zamboni. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Can't be in. Gary. All right. In. We'll, we'll try to make that happen. So right. the only thing more unique than riding a Zamboni is being hit by one. <laughs> or trying to run away from one while on ice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Lori, I just want to lead off by asking, what makes ice slippery? There are people say, well, because it gets wet and if you slip on the wet ice. But on an ice skating rink, the ice it isn't, you know, if it's been skated on, it's kind of frosty, right? From everybody uh, kick, kicking yeah. up a, a top layer of, of, of shaved ice, but that's slippery too. Uh, mm -hmm. And no matter what I'm wearing, 
So you see people at the end of a hockey game, the coach comes out, he's got to step lightly on the ice, lest he slip. So just wondering, what's going on there? And does it have anything to do with the sketchy character of ice? Perhaps... The- <laughs> Yes, ice cannot be, be trusted. Maybe that's why it's <laughs> <slippery. thing>. <laughs> very <laughs> sketchy in its character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I honestly, that is true. And that's true scientifically too, Chuck, because ice is not always slippery. If you get ice cold enough, the friction that it generates is really high. So it actually becomes a very grippy surface. So if you're way down at like minus 100 degrees C, the friction that a skate or a shoe that would experience on that ice is extremely high. It's as if you're walking on a very rough surface. But as the temperature of ice increases and kind of heads towards its melting temperature, so I'm sorry I'm speaking in centigrade, but I'm useless. We'll forgive you. Um, But yes, (laughs) thank you. So yeah, it starts very high friction. And then the friction actually gradually decreases and it reaches a minimum at about minus seven degrees C. And that's quite a useful temperature because that's the type of temperature that we would quite often interact with on an ice skating rink. And although there have been theories around what, how that happens, why friction decreases gradually over that range, it wasn't really until about 2018 that researchers, I think, probably got closest to kind of nailing down the answer to why. And it's that there is always a presence of what they call a quasi-liquid. There's always this ultra thin, like just a few nanometers thin layer of quasi-liquid, which Daniel Bond, the scientist who wrote this paper in 2018, would not let me call a liquid, um, a quasi-liquid that exists on ice even at temperatures well below freezing. So ice always has this layer on there and, and that contributes to its slipperiness. Just to be clear, a nanometer is a billionth of a meter. So yep. you, you just, uh, you know, we hear the word nano so often that it's almost lost its precision. Mm. Nano box, nano this, nano, and but you're using the word within its precise metric uh, prefix way. Um, nanometers, billionths of a meter thin. Just to clarify that, yeah, quasi liquid. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's that's rather vague and amorphous <laughs> quasi indeed quasi liquid i mean come on really <laughs> yeah well yeah this is it i i had this argument with the scientist as well but his his argument and it's a reasonable one is that if it's below freezing it should be a solid so we shouldn't be calling it a liquid right but what it actually is is that on the surface of ice, you have little ice molecules, water molecules that are bound to all the other water molecules around it. And, and normally ice is bonded to four neighbors, right? On the surface of ice, it's bonded to three or four because it's on the surface, there's air above it, it's no longer surrounded by more ice. Um, but what these guys re- realized, and actually I should say they're brothers, the two lead scientists on, on this paper, one's a chemist, one's a physicist. Okay, that's, that's problematic <laughs> um, right there. Indeed, no. indeed. Hence the quasi-liquid <laughs> argument, I believe. But, um, yeah, so they, what they realized is that on the surface of ice at these temperatures, at this kind of minus seven degrees C, it's not just three or four bonds. It's sometimes ice is only bonded to two neighbors. And those doubly bonded ice molecules, they don't just kind of wiggle around on the surface, which is what creates this, this quasi-liquid layer. They can actually roll around the surface of the ice there very, very mobile. Mm. And it's actually those hardly bonded to their neighbors' molecules of ice that cause, that create this, this liquidy, liquidy layer that creates that slipperiness. So you know what we, well, you know what we call that in, in, in just the regular world, this kind of semi-formed liquid that you're talking about? We call it gel. Gel, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Laurie, the Bond brothers are doing their research in 2018, right? Mm-hmm. And they have all of the technology to do it. But back in the day, way back in the day, Michael Faraday in about 1850 was coming up with terms like regelation. Am mm. I right? And, and, but although molecules, the kind of the, the theory back then wasn't popular about molecular and atoms, all the rest of it, but he was already on it. He totally was. Yeah, Michael Faraday had this idea that there was some sort of liquid layer on the surface of ice and that if you brought two ice cubes together, those liquid layers would interact and it would allow the ice cubes to to kind of freeze together. So that's the process of regulation. 
But because, like you said, Gary, because this theory of atoms, that didn't exist yet, it was kind of ignored. Faraday was kind of like, yeah, okay, you're a great scientist, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't seem to make sense to us. And it was kind of revisited again another hundred years later by a different scientist. Um, and that was where, you know, we then had the theory of atoms and molecules. So that started to really kind of open the flood, floodgates, as it were, to, to this theory that there's some sort of permanent li- liquidy layer on the surface of ice. Just to be more precise here, I think we had a theory of atoms, but atoms were not yet demonstrated. Yes to exist. Mm. Yes. So, because we had the periodic table of elements. Absolutely. You know, an element and it would be an atom in its smallest form. So we had some suspicions that atoms mattered, but n- not in what way. And quantum physics was, was a distant dream, not even a dream. So, yeah, I just want to distinguish between what we thought might have been true and what would later be confirmed. That's all. God, those, those guys were idiots back then. <laughs> <laughs> is there a difference between the ice that forms here on Earth and ice that goes and forms in deep space on comets and moons and things? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I can only answer a tiny bit of it, but I'm sure Neil can answer way more than this. Yeah, but wait a minute. Before you answer yeah. that, th- doesn't that change based on what the ice is? Because when we talk ice, we're talking mm-hmm. water. But in space, you got to have different kinds of ice other than water, right? Yeah, good point. But yeah, even even water ice forms differently on different planets, as far as I understand. Oh, delicious! Yeah, delicious water ice. <laughs> water ice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's crystalline ice is is the most common form of ice on Earth. But my understanding is that amorphous ice, so not ice that forms these lovely crystals, but ice that's more kind of uniform. That is what dominates in the rest of our solar system. Um, but I, I'm sure Neil will correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, man, this is good stuff now. Let's get into this. <laughs> Neil, what's up with the ice, bro? You know, it's a new rapper, Amorphous Ice. You see, that's when it's got to be made. And is, is, is Amorphous Ice slippery? <laughs> oh, is yeah. It, does, it, does Amorphous Ice have character traits? Like slippery. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah a new superhero. Yeah. But, but wait, so, so I'm just astonished here, Lori, that here it is. We're going to the year 2023, and you're telling me that a research paper five years ago is still shedding light on our understanding of the surface of ice. Yeah, precisely that. And I really love that because I think when I started to research ice, I thought, we know all this, right? We know it all. Right, Laurie, Laurie, one of your expertise is, is material physics, right? So yep. shouldn't you be embarrassed by this, that your field... Did, didn't even know this until, you know, just before COVID. <laughs> There's so many questions to answer and only so much is able funding. That's my argument. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> no, too, too many surfaces, too little time. <laughs> too, okay. little, too little, too little money. time, yeah. Right, Gary, where, we, where did I leave off with you? Um, I, well, it was just a case of if the ice is different in deep space as opposed to here on Earth, would it be, as Chuck said, from different, Molecules, not water molecules, but other properties. Yeah, we've had ammonia ice. There are other things that are, there's carbon dioxide ice, Ooh. which on Earth we call, Laurie? Dry ice? Isn't that dry ice? Dry mm-hmm. ice. Yeah. Dry ice. Yeah. Don't stick your tongue to that, by the Do way. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck speaking from experience, it sounds like. <laughs> Whatever you, you right do. Don't. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't stick your tongue on dry ice. You know, <laughs> believe me, this thing I'm talking to you with is a prosthetic. <laughs> Your tongue? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so a couple more things. So it seems to me it'd be interesting if you had a, a race, let's say, a, you know, a quarter, you know, a, two, a 400 meter race or, or, or uh, a kilometer where the beginning of the race, the surface, the whole race is run on ice. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, it's like 100 below. So you get very high friction. And so they're just running and running, but the, the, the track gets warmer and warmer until the finish line. And then there's a some point where it's no longer high friction, it's low friction, so they have to run differently. And then the last 50 yards, they just slide in. I love it. It's a, it's a pretty cool event. Uh, it is also the most expensive ice rink in the world. <laughs> it started here. True. Okay. It does take them a long time to make ice for the Winter Olympics. So yeah, don't know if they could do that gradient. Maybe, maybe they could. 
So, so Lori, tell me about the attachment to other molecules. When I think of a, a, a crystal, I think you have a molecule in its place mm -hmm. and the crystal has certain symmetry to it. So I'd be looking different directions and I'd find neighbor molecules yep. attached to me mm -hmm. in crystalline form. But you tell me as you get to the surface, I'm missing one or more of these. And on some level, it can actually roll around. If I'm yeah. attached at all, how am I rolling around? Yeah, it's a good question. And the, the answer is not that straightforward because they had to model these, they had to model these doubly bonded molecules. So they haven't seen them. They haven't actually seen what they look like. But what they found was that as the temperature increased towards minus seven degrees C, the mobility of these molecules in their model increased. So it was as if they were rolling around on the surface. Now, we haven't seen that. So we haven't seen it experimentally. It is it is a model result, but it does match very nicely with the with the decreasing friction that we see at the same increasing temperature. Okay, so that's the vocabulary they have available to them to yeah. reference it that way. Yeah. But it's interesting. So if, if a molecule only rotated a little bit, you know, moved around a little bit, and then the next one picks it up, you don't, the, the molecule wouldn't have to move very far to still give the impression of a very slippery surface, yes, it seems to me. Yes, precisely that. And I think it's what was really surprising to them was, was just how different the mobility, this, this movement of these molecules, just how different it was between three bonds and two bonds. They really were not expecting that. It was significantly more okay. mobile. So, Laurie, do we, are we now consigned pressure melting to the bin? to the trash can, to the bin, whatever you want to call it. And well, it's, describe it, pressure melt. Pressure melting, that was my only understanding of any of this. Mm. Now you're going to put it in a trash bin? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no I'm asking. Uh, it's, I mean, yes, it's got, it, me, me, yes, it's got to be. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> What's the temperature? Um, so, uh, thank you. It's, um, it's that situation where, yes, pressure melting must still happen, but it's not the reason when you put your foot directly onto ice that you slip. Because you've got yeah. no, there's no pressure really happening there. To melt the ice. There's and, no high pressure like on the edge of an ice. Yes, of, on an, of an ice cake. A blade, exactly. yeah. Totally. Blade. So are we consigning that theory to, nah, and it's more this unstable group of molecules that will and will not float around the surface of ice? Um, pressure melting does play some sort of a limited role, and it actually plays a role in one of the winter sports, like curling, for example. But see, but, that, yeah, oh, let's get, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. <laughs> but you got to explain pressure melting. We're going to save that for the second segment. <laughs> what is pressure melting? Mm. All right. When we come back, Lori tells us how you get pressure melting with ice on Star Talk Sports Edition when we return. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? 
Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk, code startalk. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. We've got our favorite ice expert in the whole world, Lori Winkless, coming to us from where are you, Lori? I'm right in now? Wellington in New Zealand, where it is summer. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, there's summer and winter here. That's evidence that the distance of Earth from the sun is not what causes seasons, if you had ever wondered that. It's just how we are tilted either toward the sun or away. So, Lori, tell us what pressure melting is. I think it's one of the most interesting phenomenon involving water, and it's not other materials. I think water is uh, almost unique in this property. And then we want to find out how that relates to all the sports that people know and love that take place on the ice. Yeah, pressure melting. You're right, Neil. Water is a very weird molecule in some ways. Um, so pressure melting is what happens that when when you apply pressure to solid ice, what you actually do is you push the atoms in that ice closer together. Now, you think about that as, as making it denser. But because water is denser than ice, when ice is under pressure, it turns into, some of it turns into liquid water. Even though the temperature is below freezing. Even though the temperature is below freezing. Yes. Right, right. So you, will ha you would have created water in a liquid state that is stable mm -hmm. below the freezing temperature because you put pressure on it. Yes. And if you remove the pressure and the temperature stays the same, usually it will freeze again, right? So it, it does need the continuous apply application of pressure to, to keep that layer of water. But that, that weird quasi-liquid that we talked about, that exists regardless of whether there's pressure on the ice or not. So oh. is that why when you have um, a container uh, in the freezer, mm -hmm. And before the container bursts, you the it's complete liquid, but then you twist the top and the whole thing goes and freezes up all at once. Yeah, that's another, that's a thing called nucleation. And it's what happens when if you have the the liquid can stay can stay liquid, excuse me, the water can stay liquid below freezing, but the act of kind of hitting it or you know banging it in some way causes some of the water molecules, because they're cold, to line up in a line. And then what you see is that ice just going, and if it forms out into the liquid. So don't you need very pure water for that? No, you can actually don't do it. Very no, it doesn't need to be that pure. You can actually do it with kind of, you know, pretty decent bottled water, or if you have filtered water, if you're very careful and you put it into your freezer and leave it there for a few hours and very carefully take it out and then give it a smack on, on the countertop, you can quite often see the ice forming. Yeah, it's a pretty cool mm -hmm. experiment. Mm -hmm. I recommend. It's very cool. Watch ice form right in front of your eyes. It's very, it's very cool. Laurie, the Bond brothers and their, their research in 2018, right, came mm. up with that minus seven specific temperature. Yeah, you can't tell me that for centuries, ice meisters, as they're known, I believe, weren't already well ahead of them. Because we've yeah. been... What's, we've an been ice, what's an ice So meister? someone who... Okay, Chuck, so from, to my knowledge, and Laurie's going to either tell me I'm talking absolute rubbish or I'm right, um, an ice meister is 
is someone who lays the ice. They will construct a skating rink, uh, a skate track, a curling ice, whatever it is, because they're all different types of ice. Figure skating ice is not the same as ice you play ice hockey on. It has yep, to have different correct. qualities. Now, the ice meisters knew this. So why didn't the Bond brothers just go and speak to an ice meister? Well, I think they they did. <laughs> but I think the other thing is, you know, there's there's knowing through kind of experimentation and then there's understanding from a fundamental point of view. Oh. And you're absolutely right, Gary. Ice meisters have known about the the changing behavior of ice at different temperatures for a very, very long time. And it is the basis of all winter sports, really. But it's only really now that we start to understand the very fundamental mechanism that reflects that observation. So it's you need both, I think. But yeah, for sure. And, and the ice meisters I spoke to have such an incredible instinctive understanding of ice. Like some of them described being able to listen to the ice to know whether it was good enough no, quality. The ice whisperers. Yeah. The ice, <laughs> ice whisperers. Yeah. What we need. Yes. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Which, but but yeah. Gary, this, this is a very common arc of discovery and understanding in science where people just, ob- observant people notice something. And then they write it down or, or share the information. And it, it's, they might even exploit it in whatever way they need. And then science comes later, typically, and figures out what's actually going on. And then when you do that, you can usually exploit it even further. Yeah. Right? So, so Laurie, in the era of modern science, have they improved on what the Ice Meisters had been doing? I think it seems to me they could or should. Yeah, in terms of their understanding, yes. Um, but the Ice Meisters still do what they do as they've always done. Well, what's helped them a bit is the ability to purify water. So for ice makers, they really do want very, very pure water because they want to know exactly how the ice will form with as few kind of dirty bits in there as possible or any other contaminants. So that has science has helped them hugely in that regard because you now have technologies that allow you to filter the water. But they still very much see it as a kind of an instinctive art really and curling ice particularly mm-hmm. because it's different from the other ice like they are artists those ice makers they they have they've tried different machines to create curling ice but nothing has managed to create it as uniformly as a human uh, walking up and down the ice with effectively a shower head <laughs> and that's because the machines what? can't listen to the ice exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Laurie before we get on to curling and I do want to get on to curling because it's it's fascinating sport for physics and i mean it's it's how many hundreds of years old and we still wait, wait chuck you hear you hear what gary said there it's a fascinating sport for physicists for, right. no it is <laughs> not Harsh. it's a fascinating sport <laughs> no in, in terms of it's fascinating and it's hundreds of years old and we still don't know all of its secrets mm. but before we go there please explain the impember effect that i oh. believe Right? Yes, thank you. Suggests that (laughs) hot water can freeze faster than cold water. Because now I I, I need some illumination on that. Because that sounds... No, no, that's bullshit. No, I don't (laughs) believe that for a minute. Thanks, Neil. Laurie, here's what I think happens there. Because I've seen people do this experiment. Here's what I think happened. They put boiling water in an ice tray and cold water in an ice tray. And they put them both into the freezer. And then the boiling water, that ice tray freezes faster. What I think happened there, it was is that it evaporated water out mm. and there was less water to freeze by the end. Is that not what happened there? No, I think that's my understanding of it as well. Like there's been lots of papers and lots of, uh, you know, observations of this over the years. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on Neil, on that, Neil. I think that's what happens. Yeah, in the end, you just have, there's less water to freeze. Yeah, so it exactly. So it faster. happens quicker, yeah. All right, there's my, yeah, that's it would my have, it, it, that That makes perfect sense because otherwise it would have to be some manipulation of temperature like where you don't have the same rate of freezing because yeah. I don't care yeah. what you do, mm-hmm. you got to go from hot to cold. Yeah. 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 You got to pass through the temperature that the other ice cube was. Right. right. And it wasn't <laughs> in the fast lanes. Right. So but the way to do that experiment properly is you put boiling water in a vessel that's sealed. Mm-hmm. And that way nobody can evaporate out and then it's pure temperature race. That's why it's a bit bullshit. That's how I thought I'd tell you that. All right. I had my answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, Laurie. So, uh, I'm tr- I'm at a loss. Why is the ice for curling different than for hockey? Different than for figure skating? 
So figure skating ice and hockey ice and um, long like speed track skating ice, they're all smooth ice. Now they're different from each other. They're at different temperatures. They have different thicknesses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because each of those sports want to do something different, right? Like long track speed skating is all about going as fast as you can, like 50 kilometers an hour with your legs on the ice. Um, so there you want really hard, really low friction ice. So it's at the magic temperature of minus seven degrees C. And then it gets warmer from there. But curling ice is not smooth ice. So curling ice, they do make a flat rink, a flat surface of ice first. And then one of these ice meisters will walk up and down the whole length of the curling rink. And they will use basically a shower head, which had, they've got a, a bucket of water on their back. And they spray, they swing a shower head from side to side, different little nozzle sizes on the shower head. And it creates a layer of pebbles. They call them pebbles, but ice bumps mm. all over the surface. So if you look at a curling ice rink, it's, it's quite dull. It's not smooth and shiny like a speed skating rink. Why aren't they trying to reduce the friction? So what they're trying to do really is that if you try and curl a curling stone, so if you try and make a curling stone take that big curvy path on smooth ice, you, it will not do that. Uh-huh. Oh, you need the friction to change the direction. Exactly. To change oh. direction. So the thing, Neil, yeah. the thing wow. is, don't, for, don't forget the origin of curling. It's on a frozen pond or a frozen yeah. lake. And therefore, Mother Nature just organically produces this pebbling, these ice bumps, as Laurie calls yeah. them. Yeah. Right, right. Nothing bumpier than a than a than a frozen lake surface. Yeah. Tell you that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well yeah, so they they have kind of if dew forms on an ice surface, you will get these bumps. So yeah, it's and like Gary said, it's been around curling as a sport's been around for at least five hundred years and started in Scotland and has kind of gone everywhere that Scottish settlers have. So it's it's kind right. of relatively big it's not really but it's relatively big in New Zealand as well where we had a lot of Scottish settlers down the bottom of the South Island um, alright that makes a lot of sense now the whole thing makes sense to me now why there's no curling in Africa well, Scottish I mean, people in Africa. I mean, yeah, because there's not not because of the ice, just because of the Scottish people. You know? <laughs> it's delightful. The the teams, even like the teams, I met some teams who uh, play here, and they all have like these these kind of woolly hats with the bobble on them, like very kind of traditional Scottish uh, garb that they still wear, and they have tartans and stuff for each of the teams. So it's still very much seen as a Scottish sport. Wow! Cool. So the Scots are actually responsible for two of the world's most boring sports, <laughs> golf <laughs> and curling. I agree on golf. <laughs> <laughs> I right. love curling, though. <laughs> no, I love so, curling. So, too, Murray, but, there's, yeah. there's been a little bit of a, an argument, a spat, a mm. tiff, call it what you like. Um, those people that believe... Dust up, yeah. Well, yes. Um, pressure warming theory and then scratch guiding theory and then there's the pivot slide model to... Yeah as to which one is the most the most explanatory for why a curling stone does what it does. But before we get to that, would you explain actually what the bottom is of a curling stone is like? Because I think people, yeah. people have got one idea I, of it. I'm I not have no idea. There you go. So this, Neil, is for I you. I have no idea. Okay. So the reason that there are so many theories about curling is that a curling stone moves in a way that you wouldn't expect if you were just looking at really basic physics, right? So the base of a curling stone is not flat. It's actually concave. So there's only a very narrow ring. And these stones are granite. They're made from a really particular granite from one place in Scotland. Um, and it's this really narrow band of granite that actually touches the ice. And then as we've established, the ice itself is pebbles. So it's kind of rough. So it's really only touching the tops of these pebbles, right? So you have this slightly odd interaction anyway. You've got a rough granite surface and a rough textured ice. And if you were to say, take like a beer bottle, I recommend it being empty before you do this mm -hmm. and slide it along a table. Um, you know, it will just slide forward. If you slide it and rotate it as you release it, which is what a curler will do before they release a curling stone, the, the beer bottle will veer away from that straight line. It'll kind of go off to the right or the left, depending on which direction you've rotated it. Okay. So if you rotate a beer bottle to the right, as you let it go, it will curl to the left. And this is called asymmetric friction. So that's kind of something that we kind of know in the world of physics. It's because of the way the bottle 
decelerates as it moves forward and friction is stronger on the front than on the back of the bottle, it's not surprising. So yeah, so this is how okay. a beer bottle will move, right? But if so, you have, you curl to the right and it will, sorry, you rotate to the right, it'll curl to the left. A curling stone will curl in the same direction in which it rotates. So from a physics point of view, that is weird, right? If it was following this basic like asymmetric friction, it would curl in the opposite direction to the one that it spins. So that's why people have been like, what is going on with this weird sport? And again, like Gary said earlier, there's a case of people understand instinctively how to rotate a stone, how to deliver a curling stone. They understand all of this. They understand what happens when they move a stone the way they do. But the fundamental understanding of what's happening where that kind of rough granite surface is touching the rough uh, pebbled ice is still a little bit up for debate. Now, I'd argue that there's probably a couple of uh, leading theories, but probably one leading theory at the moment. But I just love that it's still up for debate, given that this is a sport that's been around for centuries. Well, I will tell you this, uh, Laurie, what you have done is given the world a way to make curling uh, infinitely more interesting. Thank you. And that is, that is, put a beer bottle on top of the curling stone <laughs> and, and have it delivered to the people at the end of the run. All right, right. So, Lori, typically, a uh, hockey is the same season as the ice capades. Yeah, uh, the, the literal ice capades or whatever is that version today that we all grew up with going to arenas. And are you suggesting that when they do their figure skating in the ice capades, they might change the temperature of the ice to serve their needs mm -hmm. relative to the hockey game that's going to play that evening? Yeah, they will do. So um, you you for figure skating, what you want is a kind of a softer ice, to be honest, because if you think about what a figure skater is doing, they're having to kind of dig into the ice so that they can launch upwards, you know, so they actually need yeah, to get yeah. the blades into the ice. So they need the stats of the Winter Olympic Games. Figure skating is the softest, warmest ice. It's um like minus five degrees C. I'm sorry, minus three degrees C is figure skating. Um, But ice hockey needs something a bit harder because they have to, they need that combination of grip and glide. You know, they're changing direction a lot. So ice hockey ice tends to be about minus five degrees C. So you can switch between the two. Um, you tend to need to flood. You tend to go, I think, from memory, I think you go ice hockey to figure skating. I think that's right. Um, but you, you can kind of add more water. You flood the ice. They literally flood it with water and let it freeze and then add more water and let it freeze. And they can change the underlying temperature of the, what's underneath the compressors and stuff mm. underneath. So they, they, they do, you know, in an ideal world and in a competition, they would absolutely want to change temperatures for between sports. And so, but isn't that laying a layer of water? Isn't that what the Zamboni does? Yeah. Yeah, mm, it is. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. that. So Gary, what else you have for her uh, in this segment? So do we, do we need to consider these brushes that curlers oh. use? And mm. we didn't, didn't we go through a phase where they had something known as the Franken broom? Yes, Broomgate. Broomgate, <laughs> uh, as it was Broomgate, Broomgate. Yeah, oh, yeah. got to have, oh have one of those. Let me, let me guess. The, the broom actually um, was more abrasive and scratched the ice to create more pebble-like surface so that the curl could increase. Bingo, Chuck. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the broom... Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's pretty much bang on. Chuck, yeah. yeah. You've been you holding out on us, Chuck. Yeah. You you you're a total curling fan. Chuck's read Chuck's read Laurie's book. <laughs> Chuck, you cheated. Yeah. Wow. It's all right. It's just research, Chuck. It's okay. <laughs> no, you're right. It's mm -hmm. so there was a period. So the brooms, the brooms um that we, they use now are pretty like a nylon. They're not abrasive. And the the job of the sweeper, the people who are sweeping the brooms in front of the curling stone, they are actually trying to melt the ice. So what they are trying to do is reduce how much the curling stone curls. So they want to straighten out the path of the curling stone. So they sweep furiously, create this liquid layer, and that kind of minimizes how much the curling stone curls, depending on where you want so to So they're using it. friction. Yeah. That's why they rub it real fast. Yeah. They rub it real fast. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We got to we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll finish out the curling controversy here 
We're going to learn whether Chuck really did write a book on curling and performs in the dark of night. And we're going to find out ice on earth. What's it all about with glaciers when star talk sports edition all about ice return. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition with our number one ice expert, Lori Winkless. Lori, coming to us from New Zealand. Thanks for coming in this far for this episode, Lori. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. So I got some, some, some leftover questions for you. I think we saw Chuck single-handedly solve the Broomgate problem. He did. <laughs> with, with, <laughs> uh, with the curling. And so what I wonder is, uh, if we move this whole exercise to Earth's surface, all right, and we get things like snow on the sides of mountains. Skiers care greatly about what the texture of the snow is. Could you briefly just tell me what they prefer? And do they prefer it because they have more friction or because they have less friction? So I don't ski, but like a good scientist, I talk to people who ski um, and they prefer natural snow. But something we saw in and we are increasingly seeing in the Winter Olympics is an, a kind of a reliance on manufactured snow. Uh, because we aren't getting enough snow in these regions to actually host the Olympic Games. So skiers definitely prefer the the, the softer natural snow, mostly because it is softer. Um, the manufactured snow is, when you look at it under a microscope, is kind of solid little icy balls more like than snowflakes. And so it's harder. And Why it's can't slimmer. we make snowflakes? Yeah. Why can't we make snowflakes? It's the 21st century. Yeah, we've. I I don't know if anyone's tried. If I'm honest, um, well, we did have a we yeah, did have there, a couple of guys. Remember, they, they made artificial yes, snow, but they couldn't ah. they couldn't scale it. Right. That, oh, yeah. I remember that. Yes. yes. We have a whole episode yeah, on we that. We did. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Right now or after the show, everybody go to the archives and dig out. We have a whole episode, Gary. I forgot all That's about right. that. Yeah. They had perfected yeah. it, mm. and the question was, 
Did, can did they, they make enough of it to be useful on an entire mountainside? Yeah. Is what that was. But okay. So and we need that to up. check back with those guys because if they've conquered that scale issue, mm. uh, that's an investment opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, Chuck. <laughs> All right. So, so Lori, let me hand you some low-hanging fruit. You ready? So, what happens if it snows and the snow never goes away? As in formation of a glacier? It's so funny. See, this is what? these are trick. To, see, people, you just found out what a trick question is to a scientist. <laughs> you know, when you ask a question that is so simple, they're like, "What the hell is happening?" A <laughs> <laughs> small amount of panic just rising up in my in my chest there. So, so what's the difference between the era of the growth of glaciers and the era of the loss of glaciers? Like, what's what's going on? Why why does it happen one way at one time and the other way the other time? Mm. Because we need snow to form glaciers, we need low temperatures, and that sounds really simplistic. But a lot of our freshwater systems, especially in mountainous areas they actually rely on glaciers to get fresh water. So when they have mm -hmm. less snow because of climate change, the glaciers mm -hmm. are melting or and or not forming. So both of those. Um, and their freshwater supplies are are in, are you know damaged by that. So climate change is is the answer, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. And while you're on wow. that subject, just let me just say this, uh, because people may be thinking, so what? Glaciers don't affect me. However, drinking water does affect you. Mm -hmm. So no matter where you are, most likely a lot of your uh, places, your drinking water comes from elevation. It comes from mountainous areas where we get what's called a snowpack. That snowpack slowly melts uh, in the spring and feeds, uh, you know, arteries that feed tributaries, and that brings you your fresh drinking water. When we don't have the snow because of the lower temperatures, I mean, sorry, the warmer temperatures, we don't have the drinking water, and that actually leads to a depletion of aquifers, and it also leads to drought. So this is why one of the reasons why climate change is so terribly important because um, you like drinking water. Mm -hmm. So well, I mean, this yeah. public service announcement brought to you by no Chuck. Star <laughs> I mean, Chuck, Chuck's absolutely spot on, and don't and add to that, Chuck, immigration for crops and for farming. Absolutely. Wait, 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 uh, Chuck, you missed you, you missed something in that. that what did that, I miss? PSA was that PSA was beautiful. Let me just mm -hmm. start out by that. But it's not whether or not it's cold enough to snow. Okay, because if it rains, that'll also fill the aquifer, right? So what the snow does is it allows the water accumulation of the winter to return to you in right. times when it melts. Exactly. So, and replenish the aquifer in the spring or whenever the the rotation of seasons uh, uh, brings it. So, so what the problem is, you don't have the storage of exactly. water as glaciers and, had provided, and that is ever that since is the really ice age. the key. That is the keyest point too that I did that I did kind of mm -hmm. gloss over is is that the yeah. snow itself is the storage of the water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes, <laughs> which yes. is fan, which is nature's incredible mechanism. Because when it rains, people say, so what? So it rains. Rain is then runoff. So think of it that way. Right, right, you know, right. right. Good think, point. Think, think, Good point. Yeah. And at the bottom of every glacier, there's a river coming out the bottom, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Uh, but right. is it, is it right. always a river? Is, the, is it not that cold that it actually freezes to the, the bedrock? It, dep it depends on the glacier, to be honest. Like the glaciologists who I've interviewed over the last while have said that no two glaciers are the same. You know, so some some parts of a glacier will stick to the bedrock, uh, whereas you might also get these kind of streams, like Neil mentioned, that form underneath the glacier too. So you have a combination yeah. of kind of sticking ice and slippery water, and you also the weight of the glacier. It's kind of as if it's on a hill, if it's in a mountainous area, it's kind of constantly moving forward because of internal deformation. So you have all of these forces right. acting together to to cause the movement of, of glaciers. Wait, wait, explain. Wait, wait. So my, the ice I make in my freezer isn't rolling out of the freezer come on the floor. So is why would froze why would frozen water or or packed 
ice mm. move at all. I mean, who, why? I mean, it's just sitting there. I don't care if it's on a hill. Yeah. It's frozen there. <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why is it going to flow? I don't get it. How deep does, how, how, how much, how, I don't get it. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. Okay, uh, challenge. <laughs> challenge accepted. So you have a combination of sliding at the base, like we mentioned. So you have some ice that's sticking on the surface um, and you will have this formation probably due to kind of pressure melting type activities um, where you have these streams of, of liquid water that lubricate the movement. But you also just have, if you think about ice, it's not a, it's not a, an eternally solid material, right? It is, there's always slight movement. And this is true for most materials. On a long enough time scale, a lot of things flow, even things that we think of as solid. And I, these glaciers are massive. They are absolutely enormous. And that weight, the weight of the ice combined with it being, you know, on a slope will mean that the front part of it is moving ever so slightly more. And the internally, you have this constant kind of movement of ice molecules within the glacier um that that what's the difference between ice and compacted snow yeah because a glacier is compacted snow yeah so what's very, the difference very very good point so when you have so the way a, the way a glacier forms is you have the snow it densifies over time you get these the ice molecules the water molecules get tighter and tighter and tighter together and in that process air gets squeezed out so you start to lose the kind of white fluffiness aspect of snow, which has lots and lots of air involved in it. And it starts to turn into something that looks a lot more like ice. So it's much, much, much denser. So the ice, the snowflakes effectively lose their structure and, and they turn into this kind of granular ice surface. And that at, at the first stage of that, I think is called fern. So it's a particular type of ice that has been created from snowfall. And then after decades of this kind of cycle of, you know, snowfall, melting, compaction, all of that stuff. You will actually get types, you will get ice deep in a glacier. And you may have seen this in images that looks blue. It has so little air in there that it's almost completely transparent. Um, and that, so that's one of the glaciologists I talked to, she described glacier ice as a type of metamorphic rock because it is formed so specifically on this geological scale over long periods of time, just like other metamorphic rock. You still didn't say why it's blue. Okay, so... My, I know, because it's sad. It's very, very it's sad. sad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask you, Chuck. <laughs> uh, no, well, my understanding of it, okay. which could be wrong, right? My understanding of it is it's the way that light is scattered through large columns of, of solid water. In the it's kind of similar way to the oceans looking blue to us. It's how light scatters. Oh, okay, that's cool. Okay. Or like the sky, yeah, it's or like the light sky scatters across yeah. into the sky. Mm -hmm. so, so, Laurie, do okay. we do we look at glaciers as kind of like you talked about them being like meta metamorphic rock? Mm. Are they not like a little bit more like plastic with the deformation and the way that they'll crevasse? I like that. They'll crevasse yeah. and then they'll, they'll then they'll start to move. There'll be a yeah. Be a free, yeah. Okay. Yes. That's a that's a great observation, Gary. It is especially deep down in the glacier mm -hmm. where you know the deformation is kind of constant. Whereas you know on the surface of glaciers, you'll sometimes see these big crevasses, and that's because the the ice or snow at that level is is a lot more brittle. But down in the in the base of the glacier, it's much more like a plastic than anything else, really. Yeah. And, and you, you need those crevasses so we can dig out the dead cavemen. Okay, he fell in looking for food. <laughs> it was Louis. Oh, he, he didn't come back since for a week. All right, let's keep going. So, so no, that's it's true, right? That's that's some of our best DNA are the retreat of glaciers. Yeah, and we yeah. get prehistoric creatures, including humans. Yeah, yeah. because coming there's, out of there's it. no air, and, and you know, air, they're so right. it's so condensed that it is actually quite good at preserving stuff. Yeah. That's, that's why they find woolly mammoths in, in the permafrost. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. Laurie, mm -hmm. let's go back to what Neil's point about those ice streams that are yeah. very rapid and come through on the base of glaciers. Now, did we not have something recently where there was what they called an underwater tsunami created by one of these or a whole load of these ice streams that come through out of the ice sheet? 
Yeah, that does sound familiar. I'm I'm not I don't think I know enough about that in mm. particular to mention it, but I do I do remember seeing something um a few years ago now and it was there was a particular glacier I'm going to say Greenland. I apologize if that's wrong. Mm. Um but it was moving. It was found to be moving like something like 40 meters a day. Um, which was is much faster than it really should be moving. Um, yeah, that's no longer a glacial pace. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, a, it's an ice tsunami, yeah. right? right. You can, but you can run away from that, that one. <laughs> it's true, yeah. See, the thing is, everybody, everybody looks at glaciers and rising sea levels, and they see the face of a glacier or the ice sheet mm. just collapse into the ocean. But this is now yeah, the double whammy yeah. of ice streams coming through and the collapse yeah. of an ice sheet's it is. face. Yeah. I mean, it's the, speeding up. I mean, particularly in the Western yeah, and Antarctic. Maureen, isn't it true that the, um, this, this water lubricates the flow of the glacier? Yeah, it, re- right? it yes. really does. It yeah. does, right? And not yeah. only that, it uh, weakens the structure beneath so that it's collapsing. So think of it as like when you're making a, if you have a little a tunnel but then the water itself is the drill mm-hmm. that yeah. made the tunnel. And you have more water coming through the tunnel, so it's it's a uh, self-exacerbating process. problem. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and if it's yeah. moving, yeah. then it's not going to cool. freeze as well. No. Right. right. Exactly and, you, and you need refreeze yeah. as, as a part of the process, which, uh, you know, listen, this is serious stuff. Uh, we're screwed, people. <laughs> <laughs> I must ask you this, Laurie. When it's cold okay. enough, for water to freeze or a frost to occur. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always. And there must be some reasons as to why, if it's minus something, if there's no frost. Is it, what is it, air pressure? Is it, what is it? It's a, it's a combination of different things. Like you, do, you do need cold temperatures. That's mm-hmm. kind of obvious, I suppose, like you said. But yeah. you also need things like um, nucleation points, so something for... A water molecule to cling on to for long enough um, to form a crystal, you know, to form a, an ice a molecule. You do need that as well. Mm. Um, and you, temperature-wise, there's also this thing called the dew temperature. Um, so, you, and and that at, in in most aspects of normal life, the dew temperature, the dew point, I should say, and the freezing point are are pretty similar. Um, but you do also need that that nucleation point. So like Chuck mentioned earlier, you can have liquid water at temperatures well below freezing if you don't have something for, for those water molecules to cling onto to become ice. All right, thank you. By the way, I would add to that that it, there's more than one source of thermal energy yes. reaching the surface of a pond, if you want to call it, if, let's say we're thinking of a, a puddle, right? Well, the puddle freeze over overnight. And so you have whatever retained temperature the ground is from having heated during the day. So even if the air above it drops below freezing, the pond might delay mm. against that because it's got heat from the ground. But also, there are layers of the atmosphere that if there's a pocket of warmth, it can radiate to the puddle. And that's a second source of energy that could prevent it from freezing at a freezing point. So I'm saying if there, there's more thermal physics going on and um, only when all the rest of that gets gets used up all that other heat sources get used up then the air temperature will 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 win yeah. for sure but Laurie, give give us some parting thoughts here what should we think about going forward and i'm, I'm afraid to go to chuck because he'll give us another public service announcement and we don't have time for that so <laughs> Laurie, how about you uh, what, what's the future, the future of ice research, Lori? What's what can we look forward to? Well, what I'm kind of hoping to see is some interesting work around. Can we design surfaces so that they, you know, change how ice forms on them? You know, maybe maybe we could not that we want to seed glaciers necessarily, but if we could design surfaces that would allow ice to form very efficiently, that could be interesting for lots of reasons. The other end of that scale is there are lots of industries who don't want ice to form on surfaces like the aviation sector, right? You don't want ice forming on your plane. Oh, oh, um, so this, oh. that's kind of the other end of the same question. So I definitely like to see more around that space and whether it's scalable or not, I have I have no real sense. I, I think probably not at this point. But Laurie, where do we find you on social media? Um, I'm on Twitter, um, Laurie underscore Winkless, and I'm on Mastodon as well with the same handle. 
Wow, Mastodon. Okay. Mastodon. And, 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 and your most recent book? And my most recent book is Sticky, and there's a whole chapter on ice in there. Uh, lots of curling controversies as well. So, there it is. There it is. We'll look for it. Sticky. Love that title. All right. We got to call it quits there. Uh, Lori, delight to have you back on Star Talk. And this surely won't be our last invitation to you. Thank you. Uh, The Winter Olympics is is surely just around the corner. And no better time to get you back on than that. Chuck, Gary, always good to have you there, man. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. All right. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. As always, keep looking up. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.